Welcome to the Decentralized Opportunity Podcast, a weekly podcast discussing innovative ideas in business and technology from unconventional and often overlooked sources. I'm Tanner Lytle, and I'm here with my co-host, Wyatt Carson. Hello. Hello. Welcome to another week. Yeah. I can't believe... What, what episode is this? Nine? Yeah. This is our ninth episode. My lord. Obviously, I'm back in Omaha, no longer traveling for work at this moment. Uh, I had yeah, how was a your trip? Stand again. That's that's fantastic. The trip was good. It was very busy. Those those uh, work travel trips, as anyone who ever travels to work knows, you it's there's not a lot of rest period. You are there to work, and you know I'm pulling. I was we'll see. One day I woke up at like 5 a.m. to start working. I got into the office about 8:30 did my workshop until five went to a quick lunch or dinner and came back to my hotel and worked till almost midnight. So is, they're long days, but you're doing awesome work. It's fun stuff. Clients, depending on you, you're pro producing great stuff for those people and uh, they're super appreciative. So busy, busy, but fun, really, really good time. Atlanta was gorgeous this time of year, like seventies, you know, coming out of Nebraska into a 70 degree Atlanta. Beautiful. So yeah, it's always challenging when you move to another time zone too. I usually mm -hmm. go down on to Colorado quite a bit and it just throws me off. Oh, very much so. It screwed me up in my sleep patterns. Um uh, trying to wake up and get to making sure I was go to bed at the right time. It, I don't know. And that was only a one hour difference. Maybe I'm just that used to myself. I don't know. Yeah, but I no, never understood well. jet lag until <laughs> even just a one hour thing that can get you thrown off. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been to, you know, go to Europe and that'll change your perspective on jet lag pretty easy, but, uh, you can get over it usually pretty quick. I went to Germany and after a day of misery, you kind of figure your crap out and get back onto some sort of pattern. It works out. Yeah. So what do you have, uh, in store for your side? I, we talked about it a little bit before where we we're going to, when we don't have guests, we're going to kind of surprise each other with a little topic. Yeah. We're not quite sure. We did that a little bit on a previous episode and I thought it was really fun. So just keep it, keep it spicy. I love it. Yeah. Hot seat, hot seat. So I have, I do have a hot seat question for you, Tanner. All right. Hit me. In the world of business and more specifically entrepreneurship, where do you think altruism fits in, in a business model? We're seeing a lot of increase in social and environmental consciousness both with massive companies, the you know Johnson and Johnson and Facebook and Twitter and you know social and environmental consciousness becoming a huge piece of our lives in 2022 and will only grow bigger. Where do you see that fitting in in entrepreneurship and starting a business? Altruism as part of your business plan. Where do you see that coming in? Well, I think that's been with us for a long time. In many ways, you always have a ton of nonprofits or mission-based companies that want to give by creation in this world and then have a certain um, desired outcome they want to achieve by accumulating whatever resources they get from the business. So as it turns, I don't know if there's necessarily more now than there has been, but I know definitely with how the conversations changed, there's a lot more focus on it, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, ultimately though, you have to 
one, be genuine. And so much we talk about business and from our previous guests last week, that was one of the big takeaways I had was being very genuine with who you are and who, you know, what you want to provide. So doing the same thing with what you want to achieve to better the world from your cause, I think would be good. There's also, um, I don't know, a dark side potentially to it. And I don't know if you were wanting to bring this, but right when you said um, altruism, I immediately thought of the whole FTX Sam Bakeman freed issue because he was oh, man. banking off this huge, um, it was something altruism. Do you remember the exact term that they're trying to do? But it's basically his goal was to accumulate as much wealth as possible to do as much good in the world as possible. Or so he said. I mean, so it's a good, the key. it's a good premise to say like, yeah, I'm going to do good to the world, but I think it ultimately goes back to the genuine part of it. The other thing that I think about a lot too, is you might have a desired outcome, but oftentimes the steps you do may lead to alternative outcomes that go beside that. So I always think about there's a, a law that was put into place a long time ago that stockbrokers had to buy the lowest price stock available for their clients, which sounds like a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know where this story is going. I have um, no idea. But there's a book called from Michael Lewis called Flash Boys. And basically, due to this law, it opened up an entire... Um, industry in the financial world of high frequency trading because by law, a broker has to buy the most um, inexpensive, the cheapest stock available that is out for sale. Cause before they could, they could have a little bit of leeway. Maybe they wanted to purchase from somebody they knew, maybe they had trusted sources. Well, because they had to buy just the lowest price, they would go to the market, ask what the lowest price is, and then someone would interject themselves <laughs> right before because they would beat them to the bid and price it a little bit higher so while you have a good intention ultimately you got you don't know what the outcome is going to be so you got to be a little bit careful when you're going for a business and you want to be altruistic let's say you want to um really focus on climate change or um poverty or hunger or all these things which are extremely important the methods you do to solve the problem may not actually give you the desired outcomes that you want. So one, you have to be very um, open to change or iteration, as you always like to say. Best word huge, in the English language. Huge part of it. Um, collect the right information, but also just don't put all your eggs in one basket. If you are, especially if you are doing good and you are having some success, um, the ability to look at the data, look at what is happening and adjusting based off needed. You told me a story a while ago about Tom's shoes. Do you want to kind of tell the audience about that and the kind of the downsides of yeah. some good intentions too? Yeah. So everyone remembers like a decade ago when Tom's were huge, the shoes, they're like canvas made and kind of like a woven sole and they're, they're cool and they're very lightweight. They cost, I don't know, retail 50 bucks, give or take. <clears throat> but the, the mission behind Tom's Tom started from an altruistic point of view in that they said for every pair of shoes we sell, we're going to donate a pair of shoes to a country in Africa, to a third world country who does not have access to quality footwear. Awesome. And that marketing campaign blew up 
every time I buy a pair of shoes that I want, you know, Tom's are great. Um, you're going to donate and give shoes to someone who needs them. That's amazing. It's, it's incentive for consumers to buy. And they did this. And, and this is, this is not any shade whatsoever to the company of Tom's. They did their mission. The thing is, is they did not ever pivot on their, mo on their, on their mission. And what I mean by that is like I mentioned a couple episodes when we talked about Tom's, you can find pictures online, Google Tom's pile or something like that. And you can find pictures of a village in Africa with a eight foot tall pile of Tom shoes that no one wants. So you think about how many Americans there are. Let's just focus on America. There's 300 million Americans, give or take 311, I think is the last time I Googled it. Let's say 50 million of them bought Tom's shoes. I don't know. I'm just making this number up. I don't know their marketing numbers. That means 50 million pairs of shoes went to random villages in Africa. For the first couple of years, it was probably a godsend. They loved it. After a while, the shoes kept coming and everyone had shoes. What are they going to do with this? And soon they just started piling up like trash. And I think it's a, gr I think you handled that, uh, rapid fire question very well, Tanner, in that you, what you initially set out to do may not be how you end up providing a public global altruistic service. Altruism is great. Altruism is, is a, is a passion to do something beyond yourself, to provide a service to humanity, to another, uh, group of individuals. The value there is awesome, but you have to know when you need to pivot that. What if instead Tom's provided free shoes every time someone bought one for a couple of years, and then after that, they simply transferred the cost to make that, the unit cost of actually making that shoe, and they just gave that money to those countries instead of just giving them more shoes. People in certain villages in Africa can build a house out of Tom's shoes because they are just everywhere now. So, uh, it, you handled that question really well, Tanner props to you, man. Uh, it is exactly that your initial mission may not end up where you, where you want to be or where you are forced to be when you start with a, a mission like that involved. And yeah, it's 2022. I think social and, and environmental consciousness is everywhere. It's valuable and people want more of it. You know, uh, global warming, all of these things are causing massive companies to really consider how they invest their donation, their charity dollars. And at the end of the day, you need to consider the impact you're really trying to drive. Are you really trying to just get shoes on the feet of people in third world countries? Or do you want to make their lives better? Maybe for the first couple of years, having quality shoes made their lives better. But after that, you just kept giving them shoes. Um, and instead you could have maybe pivoted and changed your, your, your technique there and provided a different service with, with your successful company. So, uh, well done. Thank you. Yeah. It's what is always good at the beginning. Um, doesn't always mean that the outcome is going to be, be good itself. And, mm -hmm. um, I know we want to talk a little bit about GPT three and the new chat GPT that came up, but I want to interject one thing. I was just looking it up as you were talking and it's a, it's a little bit spicy 
to keep on Uh-oh. that theme. All right. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely interested on, on where you want to, where you might take this thing. So the quote is from, or this, this is a tweet that was back in June from Paul Graham, who is um, a big investor person in the Silicon Valley world. And his tweet was automation is an inductive proof that Marx was wrong. And he said, you still hear people saying that founders don't deserve to be rich because their employees created all the value. But the falsity of this claim becomes increasingly obvious as automation enables founders to grow companies with fewer and fewer employees. So here's one of those things that oftentimes that, and we're not, I don't want to dive into politics too much, but you know, just another case of there's something that might sound good on the, you know, in the big picture, but once you actually dig into, and especially once you start testing it against the markets or against real people and lots of trial and error, uh, you really, it starts to uncover the reality of more of it. So what's your take on automation and how it plays to the better good, I guess. There's a few ways you can go about this. If you would have asked me this question a year ago, my answer probably would have been different, but right Mm -hmm. now we're going through a, national if not global kind of tech bubble pop right we've seen it here in in nebraska with tech companies believe it or not there are tech companies based in omaha um we're seeing it massively in twitter and meta and facebook layoffs we're going through a bubble decompression right now so asking me this question today is different than it would have been a year ago So right now you're seeing automation being able to not replace, I don't think that's fair, but to subsidize human input, especially when you're building a software platform, a SaaS product of some sort, automation is going to be king and it's only going to get more and more as we start discussing uh, the chat uh, GPT, um, AI is... We, Tanner, you and I have had many discussions about AI over the couple last couple months. And you remember my first, uh, my first impression was like, uh, I've seen Terminator. I know how this ends. I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of AI. And now I'm a, obsessed with chat, uh, GPT. It, it, the, the value it creates is immense. The caveat to that is it does, it can replace human bodies. It's, 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 it's a fact. Um, you know, and no one likes to talk about it. It's a dirty subject. At the end of the day, business is business, and human beings are usually the number one capital expense of companies. Um, You consider your salary, whoever you are listening to this, take however much you make a year, multiply it by 30%. That's your benefits, that's, you know, health insurance, all those things. That is the fully loaded employee cost, your salary plus 30%. That's expensive versus a AI platform that may cost you a couple thousand dollars a year to utilize and could produce similar results. It's an ROI. It's it's an ROI based situation and Mm -hmm. things are only going to begin steering more and more towards the technology based individuals. Those who understand that technology, those who can code, those who can create, those who can design and manage products in those spheres. Those are becoming the desirable, the desirable sectors to move into the process based task oriented jobs. Those are easy to automate. And I, you know, it sucks. We don't want to talk about that situation, but 
technology is changing the face of business and we have to accept that AI starting today in eight years is going to rule business. My projection. What do I know? I don't know. In eight years, most major companies are going to utilize AI in some form or fashion that are going to replace human bodies. The only way to combat that as a human being who wants to make a salary and support your family is to gain those new skill sets within technology. I'm not a technology based person. I don't know how to code. I don't know how to do design, anything like that. I am already in my head trying to learn new skills because I understand where the, where the world of business is going. I see it today in my job. You know, I go to other companies and tell them how to lean out and, and, uh, standardize and make things more cost efficient for a company. And that's just how it is. Things get tighter. Businesses want to cut down on costs. And do you know, what's an easy cost, your salary plus 30%. It's expensive, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been thinking about this for quite a while, even before a lot of the AI stuff, just thinking about how technology in general makes businesses more efficient, but ultimately how that affects different places. So I was specifically thinking about in the, the context of a rural town, such as Makosh sure. back. So in, in our area in Southwest Nebraska, particularly along highway 83, there's a town about every 10 miles or so, sure is. which, yep. which, which follows the railroad. And the reason for that was it was about that long back in the 1800s or something along those lines where that's the distance that could be traveled until they needed to refill for more coal. So towns would spot would come up because that was one, a new technology, the railway line was going through there and the necessity that that technology brought. And then from there, you had a lot of businesses that went around that and had a certain amount of need and in each business required a certain amount of human resources to keep the business afloat. And for the longest time, especially around, you know, the thirties, forties, fifties, sixties through there, everything there was everything was analog so you needed people to do it and with those jobs you might have a manager and that manager might have a secretary and the mail was you had a mail person who could deliver the mail everything was done by people and then just even from the advent of something along with like email and then having a digital calendar most businesses now well for one the the mail boy is gone or mail girl i guess it would have been a boy more likely yep um so that role was gone, but then email became easier and digital calendars became easier. And so the person, each individual could manage their own schedule. So then the secretary roles went away. And now we're even seeing businesses can be more and more lean and do each person can rely on technology to do the role themselves. So oftentimes like a mainstay business, like a bank or a utility company or things like that are run with fewer and fewer people, which impacts each small town because there's just not as much opportunity in each town. There's not as yeah. much job openings. And a lot of times maybe they would keep the role if someone had been in a long time, but when they were, they retired or were let go or left, they just absorbed those roles into other people's jobs. And how many times I'm sure you've seen this all the time or experienced it yourself where someone quits, they don't replace them. You just have to do more work, but mm -hmm. ultimately you have the capacity to do more and more work because you can leverage tools to do that. So we are really in this new paradigm that's starting to come where it used to be more mundane based tasks. And now it's starting to get to the next level of creativity or information based parsing 
with things like um, dynamic image generation, video generation, text-based generation. So a lot of these, a lot of these things that have just more simple um, answers and aren't innovative. And we can actually, I want to touch on this when we talk about no code um, in a little bit, because that was one of the main reasons for should you program yourself or mm -hmm. do a no code solution. But most of the roles are going to start being based off of more innovative and dynamic ideas, more problem solving at a higher level rather than just rudimentary stuff. Hey, absolutely. And so, and, and just one more point here, I found more of the tweet, but to continuation to his thread, he talked, Paul Graham talked about when he was talking about the value that companies, so he said, obvious automation enables founders to grow companies with fewer and fewer employees. He gave the example in a limited case, you're left with just the founder and we're not far from it. But an example was Instagram had only 13 employees when it was acquired for a billion dollars. And a, and a billion was, if anything, below market price. People mocked that deal at the time, but in retrospect, it was a bargain. If those employees would have held out and grown, what's Instagram's value today? It's man crazy. So now that we have these tools, you can have just a group of founders. You can have just you and a few core people with, like you were saying, the good set of skills and knowing how to use these tools and leverage these tools to create a business that would have taken, oh my goodness, like hundreds of employees and way more capital to invest to get started. Yeah, and I think, and I think the immediate desire is to jump to the defensive about this, about replacing workers, about, you know, oh, founders and CEOs hoarding more money. And I understand that concept, but you can also look at it on the flip side is the opportunity for individuals is endless. If you're willing to go out and learn those skills, like yes, task-based process oriented jobs are going to go on the wayside. If there is not a creative element involved in it, there's a chance it can be automated. There's a chance it could be outsourced to AI someday. However, while that sounds negative and, you know, doom and gloom, I like to look at it at the opposite is this is a massive opportunity for anyone, anyone to go out and learn a skill set that will propel them into the future of the workforce. Maybe what you're doing today was not going to hold up in 10 years. I, I, I honestly believe AI is going to take over business. But that's not saying it's going to be a founder who has a brilliant idea, uses an AI bot to create this product and sells it for billions of dollars without having staff or providing salaries. That's not true. Human beings provide an extra element to everything. If you have that skill set that can manages it, it that can manage it. It's 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 going. I think it's moving forward in the future of business. It's going to be a mindset. You were either offended and scared of technology replacing you. Or you adapt, overcome, and become a piece of the of the problem, or not a piece of the problem, a a solution to the problem, mm -hmm. and uh, and I, it's going to be a dis, a personal decision based on off of everyone and what your current job is. And of course, there's jobs out there that will never be replaced with technology, but lots of them can be. Twenty years ago, no one expected AI. It no. was a it was a sci-fi movie, you know, trope. And now it's a real thing, right? Um, but it's yeah, an opportunity. The, like you're saying, the, the fear, there's fear with it. 
the fear mm-hmm. of what about me, what's going to be left for me. But we, we once again talked on a previous episode about like nothing is owed to you and that you need to be proactive. And it's, yes. and it's hard because you have a certain things, you know, your you know, your job, you know, your routine, you know, these things you're set in your ways and in your head, you have a picture of what the future is going to look like. But ultimately, whether it's something like a technology breakthrough or something like a disaster, natural disaster that happens, your world is not guaranteed. Your picture of this world is going to be so different. So it's important to think about how, what you can do and the efforts you can do to make the most of whatever your situation is. And with this new tool, it's not a, not a negative, it's a net positive. It's, but it is going to reshape the way we do business. It's going to reshape the way we interact yeah. with computers. Um, I guess let's touch on what chat GPT is. And then, um, I want to, I have an example. So chat GPT is part of the third version of, um, a text-based AI system called GPT and it's done by OpenAI. And with it, this one is specifically focused around language and written language itself. There's some other AI things like, um, they have Dolly, which is where you can type in a prompt and it'll create images for you. I was really big into um, mid journey, creating a bunch of art with that and sending it to the guys and just over, over the last few months, it's just gotten exponentially better. And so I just typed in right into chat GPT, write a poem about a business podcast. So I'm going to read it to you real quick. Love it. So in the hustle and bustle of the daily grind, I turn to a podcast to clear my mind with tips and advice from experts and leaders. I learn and grow and become a better reader. From finance to marketing, sales to leadership, the knowledge I gain is invaluable and deep. So thank you, podcast, for guiding me along in the world of business. You are my song. Oh, my gosh. Is that our new outro? I'm feeling a new outro. Thank you. Thank you, AI. And then just one more I did write a haiku about a podcast. In the still (laughs) of night, podcasts fill my ears with sound. Mind and soul take flight. So you can just see with very quick prompts or very quick questions. And what's really cool about this, so with MidJourney, for example, to get a good image requires a lot of finesse and understanding of how to communicate to the AI itself. Because oftentimes you might ask something and then it just gives you nothing what you want. And you have to kind of refine and define all these terms and understandings, dimensions, things like that. What's really exciting about this new chat GPT is you can talk to it like you were talking to a person sitting beside you. And then that will generate something for you in seconds. That would be what equivalent to what most people could produce for you in a few hours or days. So if I was to say, you know, what is, you know, again, write me a poem, just like we talked about that. I could write that. Sure. It's not amazing. It's not the best poem in the world, but it's, it's the equivalent of probably what I could write in the overall yeah. course of 30 minutes to an hour. So it's, it's going to change a lot. And the other thing is we used to always use Google searches to find answers to things. And you'd have to type in what it was, search through lists, try to qualify, you know, dig through and find the right answer. Some of it's dated, some of it's not. You're able to interact with this 
in a much more efficient way. If you want to know, you know who is the president of Uganda, you can ask it that, and it can tell you that plus history. If you want a detailed, um, you know, detailed bullet points on whatever topic you're looking for, it can give you that. And you can keep digging in and keep digging in and it'll keep giving you more and more answers. And just like anything on the internet, it's not always going to be correct. So you're going to have to use your judgment. It's just like Google searches or Wikipedia, especially Wikipedia at the beginning. I don't know if you remember uh, when oh, it was early. I remember early Wikipedia yeah. was bad. No one would trust it. You couldn't cite no it as a source land. for any papers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now it's something that everybody seems to trust. And we're starting to go to the other way of realizing, well, maybe we shouldn't be trusting it as much as we do. But so, oh, open source knowledge, though, it, mm -hmm. it has changed so much from education to business. You know, people didn't trust it because anyone on the Internet could write it. But on the flip side of that, maybe people who didn't originally have a platform can share knowledge that was previously unaccessed. Um, are there, are there still, you know, potholes that you could fall into with Wikipedia? Absolutely. But it changed things and it changed things for the better. Everyone uses Wikipedia. Okay. It's a strong statement. Lots of people use Wikipedia and the next iteration of how things work in, in the world is, is AI. And, and it's just the, the natural progression of the world of technology of business. We are moving on. We are no longer bound by giant, you know, 50 pound Mac computers that have a cool translucent green screen that you can play Oregon trail on and only do so many applications. And we moved on and we got a, you know, windows 95 and we got Excel and we got the whole office suite, which changed the face of business. Um, I bet everyone who listens to this has used Excel in some shape, form, shape, you know, um, especially in business. I still use Excel daily at my job, but what's going to be next? And, and the answer is technology has to move forward. It has to replace certain other aspects. So, um, it, it the, the world changes and you, and I, I love how you are firm on that. Nothing is owed to you because it's really easy to fall into the trap of woe is me. This is going to tank my career. And you know, all of this time invested for what it, it, that's a negative way to look at it. World's changing and you can change with it. Um, so let me ask you, let me ask you with this chat GTP in its current state, I don't want to talk about, we can always dream about what the future is going to be with that utopia, mm -hmm. artificial general intelligence life that's going to be, but just G chat GTP as it is, what are some examples you can think of that could be used in business today? Like what can it, what can it um, disrupt? What are your thoughts? Absolutely. If there is a product or a service out there that produces a written form for human beings, this could be, I need someone to write my college paper. This could be, I need someone to write a general, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, power of attorney for the state of Nebraska, a, a generic power of attorney for the state of Nebraska. If you need a written document based off of the current best practice that you can find on the internet through any Google search or through any personal, you know, uh, deep dive investigation, this tool has the capabilities of doing that for you. And now let's talk about ChatGPT's function and being able to create code. I've done, I've been, I've been kind of deep diving into uh, Reddit threads about ChatGPT, 
and its new code base function. So first it started with images and then it could write written word. It can write a whole essay for you, a, a graduate level uh, thesis paper. It can write that for you if you really wanted it to and you played enough with the functions. But the newest function, which is causing quite the disruption, is that it can write code. Now, most people are saying it doesn't write code very well, but the whole purpose of AI is it learns, right? It's getting better. And right now it can write in like Python and C plus and maybe one other code. It does pretty good. Um, I, I did hear that GitHub is already banning chat GPT based code because it's not verified. It's not verified by a human being, which to me feels a little short sighted, but I understand the pressure to hold off. And then, yeah, I think it was the terms justify. of volume that it was coming into. That was oh, the other sure. issue they were having. Sure. That makes perfect sense. At the end of the day, written word can now be done by a computer in a matter of seconds and how much you want to hate that it's reality. And, uh, whatever chat GPT transforms into what it can do now today is already mind boggling compared to what we thought computers were capable of doing just a couple of years ago. Yeah. I saw online, someone did the SAT test with chat GTP okay. and it scored a little over a thousand. So it's not <laughs> super smart, but it's, it's pretty capable. And the people were talking about, if you treat it like a dumb robot, quote unquote, and anything that a dumb robot needs to do, it'll serve that function right now. It, but as we're seeing just with how exponentially this is going, it'll get a little bit, a little bit more powerful as time goes on a little bit more powerful again and again. And yeah, it's, it's going to be crazy already. Again, this past six months, how much things have evolved is incredible. And yeah, yeah. as computing power becomes cheaper and cheaper, as energy becomes um, energy to run a lot of these super computer cloud centers and stuff to calculate these things, it's just going to get more powerful. The other thing is too, and this is where a lot of the controversy comes in around AI is the data sets, the data models that they're built off of, especially in the art community. And, and I do, I do feel this is a, a big issue personally. They use a lot of copyrighted imagery from artists themselves, not just like big corporate bones, but freelance artists, independent artists. They scrubbed, I can't remember, hundreds of thousands of times they scrubbed DeviantArt and Pinterest and all these things to train their models. So there is the, the, the ethics issue around it, um, not just in what it's gonna do, but how do they acquire this stuff? And then copyright legal issues that are going to have to come up. Sure. Here and that's one of the issues again with text. It's a little bit harder compared to images to understand, uh, like, or to, um, prove, you know, the copyright or whatever, the trademarks. But that's one of the things that is kind of in the way of AI and the things to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. Um, you did touch on, um, code and I wanted to touch on the subject. So we've been doing our. Monday courses. And then this Monday they talked about no code. And this is again, something that technology only the last few years has really enabled non-developer, non-studied, experienced, um, very qualified people to get in the opportunity to create a business or create a product or a service or solve a problem 
using technology that they couldn't before. And this chat GTP, of course, or AI in general is going to expedite that even more effectively, like you said. But first of all, let me ask you, what is no code and what's the practical applications for it? Absolutely. So no, co no code is a service that allows you to develop a program or an app or even a landing page for a website without having any technical coding knowledge, the Pythons, the C plus, all that stuff. And essentially what it is, is it's building blocks. Uh, if, if you've ever created your own web page on like GoDaddy or something like that, or Wix, you know, that's kind of a drag and drop option. You can create a website really easily with a lot of these options. It kind of stemmed out of that. It, I, I've created a Wix website before I've created a GoDaddy and I've created a WordPress website <clears throat> and they each have their different degrees of complexity. Yep. He did talk about what was the original no code? Microsoft oh, Excel, Excel, Excel allowed yep. any person who wanted to create their own database. How amazing was that? Yep. They um, had Excel and then it went to access and that was access. the next one too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it, 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 for many, many options, for many, many types of UK use cases out there, you can utilize this no code solution to at the very least, very least create a shell of your product idea, your software idea. You know, it, it, you click on this button, it'll take you to this next page. If you click on this option, you can go through a dropdown and all of this without code. It's drag and drop kind of you're creating frames and, and you're designing what it looks like. And it can work with certain connections behind the scenes without having to know coding behind it. Now there are limitations at the moment. However, much like AI, no code is getting bigger and bigger and more important and only going to have more capabilities in the near future. Um, we, in our founders university, we talked this entire Monday about it. Specifically, we had an individual who worked for bubble. Um, strongly recommend going out, searching up bubble, no code. It's a fantastic tool that anyone can use to create a product, a web it's app, specifically a web app, a software based mm -hmm. computer based browser based product. You can create that without having any technical experience. I believe his quote was, you can go through the training modules and look up YouTube videos in three to 20 hours. You will know enough about no code to create a product. That's impressive. Both you and I have done some research into bubble. I found, I fell down a rabbit hole and, and watched several hours of YouTube videos and I'm going to begin playing with it. Um, for our sake here shortly, the, the possibilities for people who do not know how to code, I don't know how to code Tanner. You don't know how to code. I mean, you probably know how to code a little bit, but not enough to build a software program. The key, the possibilities, and this goes back to the, our rural audience. This is a tool that anyone can learn how to use with connection to YouTube and be able to build a software computer-based product or landing page or anything without having to have those super technical skills. You know, during our universe, uh, our, our class, they, they quoted something like 0.04% of the population has the ability to code a software program or something like that. That makes technical co-founders and coders extremely valuable and rare. So the solution to that 
is maybe there's something not quite as complicated where you can at least begin to develop your MVP, your minimum viable product. And later on, if you need a more complex product that requires code, you can develop that. But this is a fantastic starting point for literally anyone in the world with access to the internet to go in and build something amazing to take their vision and turn it into a real life thing. It, the, yeah. the possibilities are huge. What's really neat about it too, is they have a lot of templates. So they, they show examples. If you want to have your own version of Airbnb, you yeah. just go on there and you can start with a template that has all of the design, the logic behind it and the database is set up because essentially that's the three areas of it. It's your front end, how the users are going to interact with stuff, the logic that explains like, if I click this, what happens? Yep. And then the database is where it stores the information and it puts it all in a very simple, like obvious way. So you can wrap your head around it and start figuring out unique ways to do whatever, you know, you want to do with it. Uh, he also touched on like what no code is for and what it's not for. So no code. And as we get into more, again, as these AI tools get more and more advanced. And I remember seeing a video, just a quick tangent. Um, I saw a video of a tool that was text-based and you could ask it to design you a website via text. So you could say, I have a sporting goods company and I want it called this. I want these to be the colors in this and it would just generate it for you. And we're going to start getting that with applications as well, at least for that preliminary part. Um, and what he was saying though, where the no code, where it is now or where it's going into the future is to have, is going to be very good for problems that have kind of already been solved or products to a certain degree. Like if you want to create something that's already been kind of created before, no code can really do that for you. Because again, mm -hmm. you can go and look up tutorials, examples, and it'll show you how to do it. Where real coding and development and stuff is going to go is more, should be focused more on those innovative ideas. So chat, the AI systems themselves, what a open AI is working on, that's what developers should be working on. They shouldn't be spending all their waking time and hours just fixing and maintaining and creating these small things that really aren't going to contribute to the big picture or be worth their time and effort mm -hmm. and knowledge. They should be focusing on those big things and everything else can be solved just through no code and through these prompts or through these user interfaces and drag and drop systems. And that just gets back to what we were saying before. Once a lot of these AI systems happen in the world and become more prevalent, your job itself might not have as much, you know, importance. And as says, or it will take a lot less effort because if you used to spend 10 minutes crafting an email and it can be done now in a few seconds, you are either going to be significantly more efficient or you're just not going to have anything to do. <laughs> and that's kind of yeah. the problem, right? So everyone as individuals needs to think about what is that big innovative effort? What is the big picture? And I love that you um, started with the altruism actually, because you can then have more time to focus on what is going to better things, what is going to better your life, the life of your family, the people around you, your community, all of those things, you can solve those problems. And he, now you have the tools to it. It's exactly it. And, you know, like I said, I think there, there is a, a, a division in the workforce today where some view technology as the enemy, they're going to do away with my job. I really personally insist on looking at it from the perspective of 
we are in the peak of technology. And what I mean by peak, I mean, it's only going to get better, but the, the peak era right now where you and I have said this a million times, Tanner, as we talk about our own business ideas and the reason we're in Founders You, every single person at some point has created a, a business in their mind. And now there's technology out there that will allow the average layman to do this. I don't know anything about coding. And in the next 12 weeks, I plan to create a no code version of a product. That's amazing. I don't have that capability. That's not within my head, but technology allows me to do so. And if I can do this nonsense, I'm telling you, I'm not a technical individual. Um, I can barely log into my Roku. Uh, this is the opportunity for anyone who's out there, who's looking at this stuff to take that leap, to take that wonderful idea they created a couple years ago in their head, or they just thought of last night and to try and turn it into something real. Now is the time because these tools are geared to benefit the end user, not those 0.04% of coders who already know how to do this stuff. But you can take that creative individual mindset that you have and really turn it into a product because the technology backs you. It's exciting to me. And I used to be terrified of AI, you know, uh, Skynet is real, that sort of thing. It, all I see is opportunity for anyone who wants to grasp it right now. Yeah. Sounds perfect. So to wrap this up, I had, I've been listening to some various podcasts and other things, but right now, um, I have something I want to share. So I've been listening to, um, Jordan Peterson has a new series on Exodus, which regardless if you're a religious person or not, the amount of thought and information and depth of the story and what they can glean from it is just immense and incredible. But there was a really good anecdote told during the third episode by Dennis Prager. And he talked about when he was a child, um, he went to Jewish, um, I don't know what the Jewish school is called um, itself, but he had a rabbi and it became time to the afternoon to do the afternoon prayer. And he told the rabbi who was this older Eastern European Jewish rabbi who just purely orthodox and only knew that way. And he goes, rabbi, I don't feel like doing prayer. And he had never, this rabbi in his life, he realized had never understood or never heard the words prayer. And I don't feel like in the same, same sentence before. And he thought about it for a second. He said, so what? And Dennis talked about no matter he's taken that to his life to no matter what, he, it comes time to do something and he doesn't feel like doing it. He always tells himself, so what? And then he does it. And so I've been this last week, been really trying to keep that at the top of my head. I keep a journal and at the top of my journal, which I write in notion, I have, so what? <laughs> Just remember, so what? Because I oftentimes I don't feel like journaling. Um, I don't feel like going through my to-do list. I don't feel like exercising don't feel like taking action or doing any of these things. And just that mindset of so what and doing it has been revolutionary for me. So if you're thinking about you have an idea, but you're scared, so what? If you think that you can't do something, so what? Try it. If you think that now might not be the right time, so what? If so, that is one of the things that I've taken away from this last week or so that I really wanted to share. And I hope, Someone else can really try that mindset too, because gosh, it's incredible what you can get done in a week now when you just do it. So 
Absolutely. Well said. Well, all right, Tanner, this has been an awesome podcast. Thank you again for your time. Uh, everyone who listens, the usual, if you listen to us, please feel free to share, like our stuff on YouTube, Spotify, your podcast platform of choice. We greatly appreciate you. We are getting some comments in and special sneak peek. I suspect we will be having many, many, many more interviews coming up in the near future with some really interesting outside-of-the-box thinkers that I think everyone will like. So I'm excited for the future of this podcast, and I appreciate everyone who listens to this very much. Tanner, sign us off. All right. Well, like I said, thank you so much for listening. We will see you all next week.